off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Catch up to speed on some more stuff that happened last night. Bob talked about it a little bit, but number one and number two in college basketball both went down as Houston drops one to Iowa State and as Bob's Boilermakers get blown out at Nebraska. Zach Eady held to 15 points as Nebraska fans rushed the court. How did it make you feel, Bob? Honestly, I was a little worried about this game. Nebraska is better than they've been in years. They're, you know, competitive, could be a bubble team for the tournament. Um, they've they've already had some decent wins, um, and I was a little concerned. I did not expect to see them beat Purdue by 16. I mean, they they just aired the ball out, though. I mean, three-pointers all over the place and um, shot 61% from three-point range. So that's that's tough to battle against when, when that happens. I do. They've got this one kid, Tomanaga, yeah. who played, and he is fun to watch, man. He can fill it up. I, I saw him a little bit last season, and he was kind of a novelty now. I mean, he is, he's a baller, man. He can play. It's, you know, got the big white headband on and everything <laughs> else. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, – is, is he just like a big freak? Would you call him a, nah, he's a, a novelty? Or I he's guess a, he's a guard. Okay. He's a shooting he's a guard. Shooter, yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he's got – you know, they, they kind of call him uh, – <laughs> they call him the Steph Curry of Lincoln, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, which is a little much, but um, but yeah, he can shoot, man. He can definitely fill it up. And, He's Japanese. Yes, Charlie used to call him the Soul Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah, that was that was his yeah. nickname for him last year. Yeah. Does Charlie know that Soul is Korea <laughs> and not Japan? definitely not, definitely not. But we're gonna let him roll with it. <laughs> um, and it was funny because then you know Hoiberg, the Fred- Nakasaki bomber would have been a better one. That's wow. Um, uh, Fred Hoiberg's son plays on the team too, and I, for a minute I thought that's who it was because he he goes with the same look. He had the big headband on and everything else. He played a lot of minutes. Actually, played pretty well. Um, but Nebraska's—they're probably um, in the Big Ten. They're probably upper tier, you know, upper half of the conference this season. They look good, um, but uh, but Purdue did not, and. Uh, you know, it's a marathon, and and like you said about Houston losing, we you know gone are the days we're going to see anybody go undefeated or even with a, a loss or two. It's rare. I mean, the last last time we saw somebody go deep into uh, the tournament, I guess was Kentucky, right? When they went to the Final Four undefeated and then lost to Wisconsin back in I don't know, was that fifteen? Yeah, fifteen. I mean, it's been a while. I just think there's so much parity in college basketball right now that you know I, you just got to accept. Your national champion could still have five or six losses, in my opinion. So, at least that's what I'm telling myself right now. No, I mean, I think that's 100% accurate. I mean, like, I would be shocked if there was ever, especially a power five. I mean, if Gonzaga one year won the title after running through their conference with only a couple losses, okay, maybe. But I find it hard to think that any big-time power five team is going to win it all without at least, like, yeah, five losses. Yeah. Without, yeah, so although shout out to Fred Hoiberg, man, I, I think that I was shocked that you know it didn't hadn't gone better for him yet at Nebraska because I do think he is an elite basketball coach. I mean, from his time at Iowa State, didn't go so well with the Bulls. It felt like a weird job for him to take at Nebraska. I was like, is he not better than that? Would you not rather just like go coach just like a high mid major than Nebraska who hasn't really had any? basketball success in my lifetime 
that I can think of at least. Seven win seasons his first two years, but then uh, has turned around and got them yet yeah, thirteen and three, and and Bob's calling them at least a, a sneaky little contender for the uh, the Big Ten. Good for him. Yeah, Good no, for him. yeah, and you know he's had a whole lot of. I remember reading a story about him. He has like some sort of heart abnormality that you know it's I, I, he might even have a pacemaker or something that he has to wear. So I mean he's. Uh, I've always liked Fred. He's um, and he he did a great job at Iowa State, and I agree. I thought it was kind of a curious move when he ended up at uh, Nebraska, but they're uh, they look pretty good. That but it was their first win over an AP number one in forty years. So to your point earlier, Nebraska's not got a rich basketball legacy for sure. So any you know if he could get them on the bubble to be a tournament team, that's going to be a big step for them. Yeah, I mean 13 and 3, they're off to a great start there. I'm I'm just glad I have a new image of Fred Hoiberg or at least a new memory of him because up until this morning it was really just him sitting there like kind of being the face of COVID. Do you remember that whenever he was on the on the sideline right. and like everyone's yeah. like, wait, is, is he okay? And the assistant coach is like pereling his hands and like trying to like stay away from him. We're like, hey, basketball's getting ready to end. Like this is not going to be a thing for a while because you have a coach here that's maybe dying on the sideline that's as right. we kind of thought. And like that was the last time I thought about Fred Hoiberg. So I'm glad he has a new moment. Houston beat at Iowa State. So they go down as well. Number one, number two. They can't have happened on the same night too many times. Was there were there any stats that were floating around there about the first time number one and number two have gone down since this day or anything? Because it seemed kind of crazy, especially to have both an uh, you know an undefeated team in that streak as well. Uh, nothing I've seen. Um, I, I did see the stat that Purdue became just the second team in AP history to lose multiple games as number one to unranked teams mm. in consecutive seasons. But Put uh, it on the banner next to <laughs> beat by a 16 seed. Stop it. Um, but, no, I haven't seen anything, but you're right. It is rare. That's what That was when I was looking last night. I was like, okay, we got – We'll have something to talk about because one and two going down is is got to be rare. Well, it's, it's actually funny. The, it's the eighth time since 2009 and 2010. Not rare at all. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I guess that's why we didn't see those stats. The eighth time since 2010? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Eighth time since 2009, 2010 that the top two teams have lost on the same day in the regular season. Never mind. Not rare that at all. That felt really rare to me, too. Like, I saw I, that last I'd night. I still, go, think, oh, that, I still think it's rare. rare. Yeah, I, I mean, Hold on, Jace. Hold on, Jace. Hold on. You didn't turn your microphone on. I, I appreciate the enthusiasm and you're trying to have a drop in. Unprompted, by the way. Unprompted. I'm glad I, I'm glad you came in and you're coming in guns firing. But, yeah, next time make sure that microphone is on and you have your box up. But, uh, no, no, I'll show you in the break. I'll show you in the break, yeah. I appreciate the enthusiasm, though. <laughs> a sign of a, a true go-getter. But eight times since 2010 – and you had me sitting there watching. Uh, the only basketball I really watched last night was Texas at Cincinnati. That was the game that got me. I, I thought that was a great second half, and that's what I pay attention to. Not number one and number two going down, but but Texas and Cincinnati going bucket for bucket. Well, speaking of them, I mean, there's been a lot of chatter that, you know, a lot of people were like they were shocked that Texas was still ranked when the poll came out. They were like, what, 25, I think. But, um, 
but they won last night, so that's uh, that was a great game. I yeah. thought it, it did seem weird, and maybe this is just the new college athletics, but it felt really weird to see kids in Cincinnati doing the horns down. And I'm like, wait, what is happening here? Why do they hate Texas? I'm like, oh yeah, conference rivalry. And then the Texas wins, and their fans or their players are running up to the fans doing the horns up sign, and they're like, we told you we were going to win. And I'm just like, why is why do they have so much bad beef? This isn't real. This isn't real, but Cincinnati kids, they love that horns down. That might be the most universally loved thing in college athletics is giving Texas players the <laughs> horns down. It has to suck because I don't feel like the SEC does that with the Gator Chomp too much. I mean, I know Tennessee does it sometimes when <laughs> yeah. they beat Florida. Like, you know, you do the Gator Chomp, but it's not like every every team that plays Florida is sarcastically Gator Chomping at them. But every single team, no matter what the sport is and against Texas, gives them the horns down. Every single one. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I I enjoy it actually. I'm Everyone not, does. Yeah, as a fan, I love doing it. When I'm rooting against Texas, I do hordes down. But every single sport, every single player is giving them that, and I kind of understand why they cried to the Big Twelve, like, "Hey, can we please get these guys to stop it? <laughs> this hurts our feelings. We're tired of seeing it." Will I it forgot. Get old? It won't get old. I don't think it ever will. I don't think it will either. I can't wait to do it the first time Tennessee and Texas right. plays a conference <laughs> right. game. Horns down. I uh, I forgot Texas has uh, that. Is it? I forget the. It's one of those deals where his name's pronounced different than it's spelled. Max Asmus or yeah, Max Abmus. Abmus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it almost read read like Adamus when uh-huh. I was watching. Yeah, yeah, and he was the dude that took down Ohio State in the tournament a couple of seasons ago for Abilene, right? Uh, was he it? played for uh, Old Dominion, I think. No, 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 no. Or Roberts. That's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. It. Yeah. yeah. Because um, I want to say he is the current like leader in NCAA like basketball scoring, so like he has uh, a pretty good resume there, and he, you know, I believe he was the guy that hit the gay winner last night. Yeah, yeah he, did. he did against them. It was a nice little baseline jumper that rattled in. Speaking of basketball, about last night, you might have missed Eric Spolstra with a record-breaking contract as the Heat give him eight more years for a hundred and twenty million dollars. Eric Spolstra's come a long way from bumping or getting bumped by LeBron James in his first season where it looked like they were going to get him fired and replaced by Pat Riley. Instead, Pat Riley stayed the course and, you know, maybe developed the best coach currently in the NBA, at least the highest paid coach in the NBA. Yeah, it makes me wonder if LeBron had stayed any longer if uh, Spolstra would have made it. Coaches don't seem to last that long with uh, with LeBron. Yeah, it is true. Darvin Ham does seem to be kind of on his last legs there in yeah. L.A. But Spolstra, Spolstra, I mean, he is the new – call him the new Popovich. I mean, he doesn't have the same amount of titles, of course, with only the two titles. But it almost felt like getting the Heat to the, to the finals twice with Jimmy Butler – has to count for something, right? It has to count for some, maybe not a full-on ring championship, but when it comes to respect, those were just as good of accomplishments as winning with the big three. I agree. It's hard to bet against Miami, and I've learned that over the over the years, any season. Um, if they can get to the postseason, they can they they can always make some noise, and I do think that's mostly attributable to Spo. He's uh, he's doing a great job there, and seems like those players he's he's also gotten Jimmy Butler to stay happy right you know what i mean as far as you know he's he's as far as as much as Jimmy Butler can stay happy well Jimmy was a malcontent in his other stops but i think it always came down just to winning and effort like yeah i think he was ultimately proven right about his disdain for 
the Minnesota Timberwolves, like an Andrew Wiggins and a young Carl Anthony Towns, because he got there and was like, hey, these guys aren't winners. These guys don't have what it takes. And, like, you know, maybe now Carl Anthony Towns has kind of figured out, like, hey, here's what I have to do to be good, because the Timberwolves are really good. But I think it's more because now they actually have a leader in Anthony Edwards instead of trying to build around Cat. But that's a different story. But, yeah, Jimmy Butler is just like, hey, I want to compete and I want to win. So pairing him with Eric Spolstra and the whole heat culture thing, as much as it makes me want to roll my eyes, there is truth to it. I do think Eric Spolstra kind of creates that heat culture, and I do think it's fitting that he was a guy that really had to grind his way up to become a head coach. Like, he was just a, a video coordinator, like, intern, like, doing that stuff and then just kind of worked his way up and, and got the head coaching job and and became kind of, you know, Pat Riley's chosen heir apparent and, and of course, has ran with the ball and won some titles with LeBron, which you could argue on how impressive it was because – LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, obviously a really good trio. LeBron James, best player in the league at the time. But creating the small ball, spacing out, and you know putting LeBron at the four and doing that, I think he deserves credit for. Also not letting them intimidate him into quitting and leaving, I think, kind of deserves some credit. But like I said, this whole second set of his career after LeBron may be more impressive than the first set, and that, you know that's him and Jimmy Butler. I agree. I The only thing I – can't stand you touched on it but uh i just saw him the other night the heat culture uniforms yeah. is a little much i yeah, yeah. i am uh not a fan of that i know there's all sorts of different uniform variations for all the teams in the league right now but man that one uh that one doesn't feel good it makes you roll your eyes yeah but there is some truth to it and i do hate the heat as well as they kind of broke my atlanta hawks in the playoffs two years ago i give them credits slash blame for that but yeah the heat culture it's it's annoying, but it's it's probably real, and I do think it comes from the top down with Spolstra. The last thing I'll say about the Heat too is I think back to when and he's back there playing with them now. But if you recall when they drafted Josh Richardson, I was like, man, that felt a little that felt a little high as a draft pick. But remember how productive he was for them right out of the gate. I mean, it, they 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 do recognize talent and sometimes they unearth some hidden talent i don't think sometimes i think they constantly yeah. do it like yeah. they, they maybe found the second or third best player in the draft with jaime jaquez you know bringing him down there and, and letting him learn from jimmy butler like he's one of the best rookies in the nba and i liked him at ucla but i wasn't sure how he was going to fit in the nba but the heat just seemed to kind of subscribe to the idea of we get good basketball players your, your athleticism your measurements don't always matter it's just can you play basketball and they found guys that could just play basketball. Yeah, and it's true. You're, you're right. Some of them have moved on now, but Max Strews, Gabe Same Vinson, yep. you know, the, those guys. And they they go and they, they do okay in other places, but they're, you know, they flourish in Miami. Yeah, I mean, Josh Richardson is maybe the best test study of that because he hasn't really been able to kind of recreate the magic he had early on with the Heat, you know, yeah. at his other stops. He was, he was you know, thought of like, hey, he's going to be the 3 and D stopper and all this, and it never really clicked, but he comes back to Miami and, and you know, is having a, a pretty good season with them. He's kind of recreating that. He, he's doing okay. He's lost his three-point shot, but he just screams heat. Yeah. He just screams heat. Love Jaime Hawkins, though. God. Yeah, guy's a stud. He is. Guy's a stud. Last little update from uh, the last day you might have missed. Draymond Green talks about how he is uh, – he is going to quit the antics. He is going to put all of the bad stuff behind him. He got to the depths of his soul, he said, Bob. He had almost retired. He he had to be talked out of retirement by Adam Silver. This is one that uh, 
I'm not the biggest Draymond Green fan. I'm the one that has said before that if Draymond Green was on another NBA franchise, he'd be Lance Stevenson. Um, I just I'm, I'm not a big believer, and I also will wait and see and see if he can really keep his uh, emotions in check. I'm not buying it, but time will tell. He's one of those players I think that needs to be emotional. Now he, he could cut the antics. Yeah, I don't want him to cut the emotion because I want him to be passionate. I want him to be tough and like you know maybe just don't choke people and maybe don't punch your teammates and and you know maybe don't do things like that but you still need to be able to be a rim protector you still need to be an enforcer and and not be afraid to have hard fouls and to call out your teammates so he's gonna have to straddle that line and I don't know if he's going to be able to but I disagree about the Lance Stevenson stuff I do think he is a a winning basketball player and and I know that it's easy to you know compare him to just the typical head cases that needed to be in a good situation, like a Dennis Rodman that needed to be with Michael Jordan and all that. But Dennis Rodman was good with the Pistons and the Spurs, too. Like, I mean, he did, it wasn't like he just went to the Bulls and that was the only time he was good. Now, do I think Draymond Green needed to be around good players to be maximized? Yeah, yeah, of course. He's not going to be able to elevate bums or be a go-to scorer. Right. But I love those type of players. That's why I always talk about Josiah Jordan-James being – you know, needing to be this version of Draymond Green with the with the Vols because I do think those type of players are invaluable to winning, and I do think there's a reason Tennessee is so good this year because you kind of do have that at the four, uh, a guy who could do all the dirty work. You know, Josiah isn't choking anybody out or kicking them or punching them or anything, but I do think he plays a similar type of basketball. I like those type of players, but like you said, I'll believe it when I see it with Draymond Green. But just know. He's cutting the antics. He has cost his team enough. He has he has done the soul searching during his suspension. And he said, "What Adam Silver wanted him, he talked him into not retiring." Yeah, Adam Silver basically was like, "No, you're overreacting. Don't do it." Don't Sounds do like it. Aaron Rodgers coming off of his ayahuasca ceremonies. You know, <laughs> he found himself. You know, God, that's a whole other story there. That dude. Eight six five five four six eighty two hundred. If you want to weigh in on Tennessee basketball. We'll talk about them coming up after the break as we get set to uh, be joined by Stats by Will to preview Tennessee versus Mississippi State. Stick with us. It is the morning show on Fan Run Radio. New year, new you, which means you might have some resolutions, some projects you want to work on. If you have that piece of furniture sitting in the corner that is worn down, but you don't want to get rid of it, it's got sentimental value, or you just don't want to spend the extra money, go see our friends at Sun Upholstery and Fabric, locally owned, family owned and operated, with 67 combined years of experience, located at 8913 Oak Ridge Highway. You can give them a call at 865-237-3272 or visit them online at fabricsun.com. That's sun with a U. Fabric. Well, I hope you know how to spell fabric unless you're not very smart. If that's the case, it is F-A-B-R-I-C-S-U-N.com. Be sure to tell our friend Stan that you heard about it right here on Fan Run Radio. Sun Upholstery and Repair. Responsible turnaround times. Good pricing and great quality. Bob, you told me the they got the cheese out for us. We got a trap line. They got it set for us at Tennessee. It's down to one-and-a-half-point favorites in Starkville tonight. Down to one-and-a-half, and I think this is going to be a rock fight of a game, too. I That's me as a rat. Nice. I'm learning something new about you every day, man. So. <laughs> 
wish I could have video of that. Um, we, we we'll do. have it. We'll we have, have a it. video. It's on Periscope or, <laughs> or X, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but I'm day. talking. I'm talking like a tight shot. That, uh, uh, I'll get you one. I'll, I'll do it after the show. Yeah, that's great. It's um, funny. I watched uh, Silence of the Lambs the other night, and whenever he goes, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, fava beans. Yeah, uh, ate his liver with some fava beans yes. in, a, in a shanty. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to get. I don't want to be too much of an alarmist. I, I'm a little concerned about this game tonight. I guess. Really? Yeah, I do. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's not being an alarmist. I mean, I think anytime you go on the road in college basketball, it's scary. Yeah. When you go into you know to the hump, it's always a kind of a for some reason that it gets credit for it being a tough place to play for Tennessee. I think Tennessee kind of struggles everywhere on the road because college basketball is hard to play on the road. You could say <laughs> the same about Georgia. We have our you know horrors in Alabama, like in Kentucky. I mean, it's just I think it's tough to play on the road in college basketball, but yeah, if it's a one-and-a-half-point spread, I think you should be very alarmed. Yeah, I, you know, just what we talked about earlier in the show, and we saw it last night, you know, number one and number two teams in the country went to Lincoln, Nebraska, Ames, Iowa, walked away with losses. I mean, and this is this is what can happen. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's just the nature of the beast with, uh, with conference play and going on the road when you're in a premier conference like the SEC. Um, it's just – it's going to be interesting from my perspective to watch tonight because of Mississippi State's size. I mean, we said that about Ole Miss, but Ole Miss was – they had some length. They had some tall players. Mississippi State has some big guys. Uh, this Jimmy Bell guy that plays in the post for them, 6'10 six, six, or 6'11, six, 280. It's mean, a big old boy. That's a big boy. Uh, Tolu Smith obviously is, you know, he's a top-tier big man. They uh, And he's just coming back, but he's, he's already – uh, provide an impact only two games in, but he's you know getting double figures and got into foul trouble against South Carolina the other day. But uh, you know it'll be interesting. You know, and the I was noticing the guys from uh, Rocky Top Insider did an interview with Greg Polinski from Barnes's staff, and uh, the very thing you and I talked about, John, with Coach on Monday um, came up as a possibility again. Is do you go to yeah, do you do you come in there with two bigs sometimes when you play a team like this? It'll be interesting to see. I I don't want Mississippi State to dictate the tone see that, or tempo of the game. But that, that's what I always come back to is like, yeah. I, I, do you match or do you say no? We're gonna do what we do. You have to right. adjust to us. And it feels like usually the better team is the one that decides. Like. I want Tennessee not to be like, well, you know, we got to match what Mississippi State does. So here's Owaka and here's Jonas, and now we got to get deeper into our big rotation. I don't want to do that. I want to spread them out, and I want to hit shots, and I want to, you know, unless they're just absolutely beating you up on the boards. Like, okay, that that's fine. But like, I thought, I thought last year against FAU, like Tennessee just got lost in terms of trying to match what they were doing, in, in terms of. You know, FAU was beating you up on the glass, but it wasn't like you were. You, know, you didn't play Phillips to try to, you know, counteract that and go small. So maybe that you were trying to dictate and it wasn't working. So there's not always a right answer in doing it. I do think it has to be game flow. But if you're Tennessee, I think you have to come into the game thinking we're gonna do what we do. Yeah. Now, if it doesn't work, then you adjust. But coming into the game, I want Tennessee to not have a different strategy. Just play your game, hit your shots, and, and try to go for there. Make them adjust to you. Yeah, and I agree. I think that um, we we touched on the bigs for Mississippi State, but then I wouldn't necessarily call them uh, again like a long team. You know, after their bigs, they have a couple small guys in the backcourt too. So 
I agree. I think if we can set the tone, we can set the tempo, that'll be key. It's just uh, that that game, it'll be I'm, – I'm just trying to figure out what, what we think would be a, a proper total. You know, this Tennessee's proven that they can get in the mud and play that way, but – well, Mississippi State wants to drag you into the mud. A little uh, snapshot of a preview from Stats by Will, who will be joining us very shortly. But Mississippi State has played seven combined Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2 games, so somewhat of quality of, of uh, quality opponents. In those seven games, um, 60 points would have been enough to win. So, like, they're holding team. Like, it's going to be in the high 50s, like 60s, is, like, where they're trying to get to. Uh, the Bulldogs are 19-4 and four when they hold opponents under 60 points. So, like, Chris Jans wants to mud it up. I hope Tennessee kind of flexes the offensive muscle here and says, we're above now playing in the mud. And Rick Barnes, after the game, said, hey, the defense was good, but let's remember, let's play good offense, offense. Like, right. it seems like he's kind of had a philosophy change. Whether he wants to admit it or not with uh, one big and kind of spreading it out, it's like he's prioritizing offense this year. Because yeah. in the past, Tennessee's had the defense, but the offense has kind of let him down. I think now he's like, hey, this team could score a bunch of points, and we'll we'll settle for a B-plus defensive effort or a B-defensive effort. It's not always now needing an A-plus defensive effort. It's like, hey, don't be lazy on defense. Give effort, but like, let's score. So I'm hoping Tennessee kind of runs away from Mississippi State, and Mississippi State doesn't have the the firepower to keep up with Tennessee. Also, I'll say, I know it's a game on the road. I know it's a, a one-and-a-half-point spread. But it, to me, I don't, don't want to say must win, but it's a game I really, really think Tennessee needs to win. And to me, this is the reason – Tonight is a part of the reason why you go to North Carolina. It's a part of the reason why you play Kansas and Purdue to get those reps that you're so that you're ready for conference play. You went to North Carolina, you went to Wisconsin, you went to Michigan State so that you're ready to go to Mississippi State. So to me, like being on the road is not an excuse in this game. Like Tennessee should win this game. They should be prepared to go into a hostile place. They've played at much more hostile places already this year. Go in and quite frankly, impose your will. I don't need you to blow them out or anything, but win the game. Yeah. Win the game and look like clearly the better team. That, that's what I'm expecting tonight. Yeah, Bob, I mean, you mentioned their bigs. I think that's a great point, and I was just about to say that, John. I think that, you know, given the the way that Rick Barnes set this schedule up and, and got this team battle-tested early in November, I think this is a, a, a game in terms of the start of conference play where it's, you know, like you're saying, John, it's that time to flex that muscle where it's, Hey, we're battle tested. We know what it takes to win tough. We know what it takes to win on the road. Jonas Adu has played elite big men. There's, you know, he's not seeing anything that's out of the ordinary so far tonight. So for me, yeah, I think this is a huge spot for this Tennessee team to prove to themselves and to prove to the rest of the country and the SEC that, that they're one of the top teams in the country and that they can go and, and win in tough spots. We'll find out more about Mississippi State and the matchups Tennessee is going to want to exploit after the break. We'll be joined by Stats by Will. I, for my money, the best Tennessee basketball writer in the city, or at least uh, the most interesting in, in terms of what he gives you. We'll talk to him after the break. It's, uh, it is uh, the Fan Run Radio Morning Show. Stick with us. For my money, the best Tennessee basketball writer is now on the phone lines joining us. My friend, Will Warren, statsbywill.com. Will, top of the morning to you, my friend. Good morning to you, too. Good to be here. Congrats on your Michigan Wolverines winning a title, by the way. 
Thank you. Uh, very honored. It's made a lot of people angry, which is fine. I think it's earned. But, you know, sharing that moment with my dad's pretty nice. And, uh, I don't know, pretty cool. So. Well, football season is now over, at least on the college ranks. It is now full-fledged college basketball season. Tennessee, your top five Tennessee volunteers headed to the hump to take on Mississippi State. Your initial, well, I guess not initial, you've got your preview up, statsbywill.com. What is the biggest matchup when you look at Tennessee versus Mississippi State? Well, I think it's going to be how big of a factor Tolu Smith is for State. I mean, he was he got injured preseason, missed pretty much all of non-conference play, came back right at the tail end for a bye game. But they uh, they got him, and they've got this tiny guard named Josh Hubbard who scored 4,400 points in high school. He set the Mississippi high school record. Um, they He's kind of come out of nowhere to be like their lead scorer. But the interesting thing is when – Tolu was out. Hubbard was, you know, the engine of the offense, the only guy who could reliably create his own shot and really still is their only guy that is a plus shot maker. When he and Smith are on the court, it's an entirely different look. Smith is more of like the ground-and-pound post-up style. And I'm interested to see, one, can they mesh those two completely polar opposite looks together? And two, can Tennessee hang around in the post and I think it helps, obviously, that, you know, you've played Armando Baycott, you've played Edie, you've played Dickinson, you've played a lot tougher uh, opponents down low so far than you have State to, to prep for this. Yeah, that's what I was saying before the break is, like, I think the excuses or, like, hey, you know, going on the road and playing a tough team, for me that goes out the window because this is why you played those teams. This is why you went to North Carolina. It's why you went to Wisconsin. It's why you got in that tournament was to prepare you for conference play. And just so happens you played, you know, maybe the three best big men in the country. So I respect Tolu Smith. I feel like he's been there forever. But, like, he, he's fourth out of four when you talk about the big men Tennessee's faced, right? When you look at the other three guys uh, at Carolina and Purdue and, and Kansas, he's, he's a distant fourth, right? Yeah, and I'm not totally sure it's – I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure he's fifth. I thought the big guy for Wisconsin, Stephen Crowell, was really good too. So, I mean – it helps, obviously, Tennessee that they've played, I mean, arguably the toughest non-conference schedule they've had since Pearl was on campus. I mean, it is they're going to be well prepped for this. I do, the one fear I think you have here is, like, this is obviously your first true road game in roughly a month and a half. And, you know, does that create a little bit of a struggle in the first 10 to 15 minutes? We've seen that happen before. Is Tennessee slow to start? Does State get a little energy? But... You know, of the, not to be rude to them, but of the SEC road arenas you could open your conference season in, State is not on paper one of the tougher environments to go to. Especially when you add in that it's 6 o'clock local. So Tennessee did kind of catch a break there because at least I don't know what traffic's like in Starkville. I know when Tennessee plays at 6 o'clock local, it's hard. At 6.30 local, it's hard to get there. So you might catch a break there as well. Although, you know, maybe they'll let them off the work early to welcome in a top five team. Will, I know you wrote about Tobey Awaka and his rim defense. How important is that tonight against Mississippi State? Because if they're going to have two bigs down there banging, Toby's going to have to do a good job of, uh, A, staying out of foul trouble, or at least, B, wrecking shop when he is in the game. Well, I think his defense is huge. He's really come around this year. You know, I wrote for the field of 68 
about it. And, uh, you know, how much do I really believe that he's producing results that are like 4 to 5% better than Adu down low? Uh, not really. But I, I do think that he's made a genuine improvement in how he reads his opposition. I think he's become a lot better at not – I mean, he still commits some silly fouls from time to time. But when he commits a foul now, you can generally see the reasoning behind it. It's not just a stupid reach in or – he clearly didn't know the scout or which way the guy was going to, or which shoulder the guy was going to go over. He's doing a much better job and seems a lot more competent on that end. But I think he's a huge X factor here because the game state is played in against uh, what I would call real competition, aka top 100 teams. Uh, they they really have not been as dominant on the boards as you would expect. They've been held below 30 percent uh, offensive rebounding percentage in five of those. Um, if that's the case, I mean, a walk is going to be huge. He's uh, arguably the best individual rebounder in the SEC. So if he can help Tennessee own the boards, it kind of becomes hard to figure out where states' advantages come from because it's unlikely that, given their roster, they're going to outshoot Tennessee. Hey, Will, this is uh, Bob Baskerville. It's good to meet you. I've uh, been a fan of your work for a while, but we've never had a chance to meet, so thanks for joining us today. Um, you just, you started to touch on this a little bit. This was leading into my question perfectly. And that is, you know, Mississippi state's 28th and Ken Palm rankings. I find that a little puzzling myself. Uh, I just wanted to get your take on it just because of, I look at their schedule. I look at who they've beaten. Probably their, their best wins have been, I guess, uh, you know, Northwestern and, and maybe Rutgers, um, but it, it's not been a murderer's row of teams that they've played, uh, yet they still have a, a, a pretty nice Ken Palm ranking. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, it's you don't want to say that you can game the metrics a little bit, but I would argue you kind of can't. I mean, we've seen BYU do this exact thing, exact thing so far, right, without not really playing a great schedule in prior to Big 12 play shooting up to, I think it was third in Ken Palm, and then kind of coming back down to earth once they're playing real competition. State is doing not the exact same thing, but something similar, where the only ab abjectly awful team they've played was Bethune-Cookman. Everybody else is inside the Ken Palm top 250. But that being said, the first quadrant one game they played all season was Saturday against South Carolina. They played five quad two games uh, in non-con, and, you know, none of those teams are terrible. Of course, like Northwestern's like a bubble sort of team. Rutgers might be as well, maybe Washington State. But it's what they're going to face tonight. And, uh, I mean, they've got two really tough home games this week, Tennessee tonight and then Alabama Saturday. What they're going to face in both of those games is honestly completely unlike anything they've really seen thus far. Got a couple listener suggestions for questions. Uh, one person wants to know, Will, do you have any insight on what has seemed to click for Zakai this season? Says he seems in control of his game. Now this is me talking now. Do you think this is just a hot streak like he kind of had last year, or do you think something's actually different and that the spacing and Zakai, Zakai's maturity of his game, do you think this is sustainable, or do you think this is just a hot streak? I think it's – I'm going to go a little bit of both. I think it's sustainable enough. When I when I watch him play now, I, I think that he's kind of coming to a point where he doesn't have to create for himself as much because he's got options. Last year, 
I think the, the rut Tennessee got into offensively at times was you didn't really have the go-to bucket getter. Josiah wasn't, you know, playing like Josiah is now. You know, Vescovy was probably better then than he is now. I think he's starting to round into shape a little bit. But the point being, I, I think this year you've just got more options than you did last year, right? And so I think the thing I noticed a lot last year was you'd get sort of these long, drawn-out possessions, be about six, five seconds left on the shot clock, and then it's what can Zakai do to bail us out here? And sometimes that worked. A lot of times it didn't. This year you're not really seeing it as much, and he seems like it seems like the game slowed down for him a bit. He seems more in control of the offense. I think that is just something that comes with your second full year as a point guard, as a starting point guard in high major basketball. You're just a, you know a little more of what's being thrown at you. You know a little more of how to read the defense, how to find the pockets for yourself and for others. I, I think that he's maturing in a sustainable way. I don't know that he's going to shoot. So since December 1st, he's shot 40% from three. I don't know that that's going to sustain, but I think the way that he's, you know, kind of reined his game in a bit and is emphasizing his best parts, I think that's good for Tennessee going forward. Are you worried about Dalton Connect? Uh, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. I, I think that he has run into a bit of just like tougher competition than he ever really faced at Northern Colorado. And like, you know, obviously he had the great games early on against, you know, North Carolina, Wisconsin. I even thought he played quite well against Purdue. But um, it, it's coming to a part where he's just got to – so you've had – it's kind of like scripted drives in football a little bit. You nailed your first two drives, and now the defense is adjusting. What are you going to adjust to the adjustment? And so I've got to see – and I think Connect has made some progress here. You know, it's hard to – you know, point out a great game against Norfolk State because it's Norfolk State, but he did play quite a bit better there. I think that against Ole Miss, he was willing to look for others a little bit more. He didn't create much for himself, but I, I think he's getting more into the groove of things. I think we're going to see a little bit of a resurgence soon. And considering the style of defense Mississippi State plays, which is really, really similar to like what Wisconsin ran and what Purdue ran and what Illinois ran, their their centers are pretty much exclusively going to stay in the paint all game. If Connect can hit a few jumpers early on, I think he could have a really big game tonight. So uh, it, it's going to be. I think you're going to know about ten minutes in what you're going to get from him. I just want a yes or no question of this because I know the numbers are kind of kind of say different things. Is Dalton Connect still a part of the best five man lineup for Tennessee in your opinion? Yes, uh, I'm not sure. I just wanted yes or no. I just wanted yes or no. Yeah, I'm going with yes. Okay. Hey, well, looking ahead a little bit um, to this weekend because this is a this is what we've called an interesting road trip for Tennessee because it's in places where you know they've had they've had tough battles before. Uh, Stegman on Saturday with Georgia has not been a, a place that's been too kind to Tennessee over the years, but. I'd love to get your take on Georgia, too. You know, they've won nine in a row. Mike White seems to have them going. However, when you look at their schedule, I'm still not entirely sold on, you know, the quality of their wins, et cetera. But I'd, I'd be interested to get your take on on Georgia, kind of an early take as we head into the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the wins there are good. I think that's, you know, nice and all for them to be 11-3. and three. But like you mentioned, the schedule – 
you know, they've played four top 50 Ken Palm teams. They did beat Wake at home, which is good. But, you know, largely it's been double-digit losses to good opponents. And I think beating Missouri on the road is not bad, of course. But you, you look at the schedule, you don't really see many impressive wins or interesting ones. Certainly nothing quite as big as beating Tennessee would be. Uh, it, it's going to be the, the most interesting part of that game for me is, again, just like how does Tennessee handle the road environment? It's a weird early start, noon, which you know Tennessee really hasn't had this year outside of the Illinois game. Uh, I, I remain just to be convinced of Georgia's offense. I think their defense is good, but offensively they're very stagnant, not much in the way of good shooters. Uh, Noah Thomason, the uh, MAAC transfer, is probably the best offensive piece, but he's not the one who's taking the most shots. So uh, I don't know. I, I'm still not sure what their best five is. I don't know that they know it either. And I've got a lot of curiosity, especially tonight, to see how they fare against Arkansas. Another listener question. Why do you have an Instagram for your cat? <laughs> well, why not? Okay. You know? fair, fair enough. Works for me. <laughs> how many know. wins? I, I don't want to jam up the normal feed with pictures of Cedric. So you got the side. It's, uh, people got them for their dogs or whatever. I don't know. It's a big deal. Yeah, we were just talking about Herb Street and his dog. Oh, God. Don't get, don't get Bob started on <laughs> okay, a Herb look, Street's dog. Let's move I don't, on. I don't bring Cedric the cat to the friggin' game. There you go. Good uh, boy, good yeah. man. That's that's smart. That's... Put Cedric in your lap and let him meow into the phone <laughs> on all your radio interviews. You can be the next Kirk Herb Street. <laughs> With the way that Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky have kind of looked at the beginning of SEC play, do you have a number of wins in mind that Tennessee needs to win the SEC? Fifteen. Fifteen? Because Oof. Fifteen. I, I think now it, it's such a tough conference, 14 may still get it done. But if you want the outright title, I think you got to shoot for 15-plus because 14 and 4 – Again, might get it done, but then you're kind of hoping no one gets lucky in close games or gets on a little bit of a heater. Fifteen plus is the safe number. Well, that means you can't drop tonight. That means you need yeah. to win tonight if you have to get to fifteen. Uh, another listener sub- uh, submission: How soon should Michigan have to vacate their title for cheating? Will <laughs> the second Connor Stallions goes private on Twitter again? Because he's public now. He, he's out. He's out of the shadows. He is willing to come out and show his face. A legend forever at Michigan. Will on the way out. Statsbywill.com. Subscribe to the Substack. The best Tennessee writer, as far as my money goes, and maybe just the best writer at college basketball. Give me the the biggest key to the game, and give me your score prediction on the way out. We got to see Tennessee hit eight or more threes tonight because State's going to give up a lot of jumpers. It's how their defense is designed. Tennessee comes out here and shoots 20% or something for three. Forget about it. They hit a normal amount of threes or more. This is a Tennessee win. Is this going to be a Tennessee win? Yes. I've got it 68-63 UT. And he's stats by Will. He's a numbers guy. Appreciate you. Follow him on X, stats by Will. Subscribe to the Substack statsbywill.com. Appreciate your time, brother. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Will. All right, Sam, get us out of here. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. So nine threes. Tennessee needs to hit nine threes, according to our friend Stats by Will. Should be doable. I don't want to see, like, the worst thing for me as someone who really wants the best for Tennessee basketball and 
is looking forward to this SEC conference play, or I guess this Southeastern conference play. SEC conference is a little redundant, but either way, if Tennessee lost a, a Mississippi State game, it would just be a hit to my psyche because if you lose to this team, it means you didn't score. Like I said, they, they want to keep you in the mud. They want to keep you in the high 50s. So if Tennessee is to lose, it probably means things didn't go well offensively, and that would just really deflate me. No, I agree. I think, you know, over the last seven games, uh, this winning streak for Tennessee, they've averaged over 81 points a game. They may not get 81 tonight, but if they I, – I honestly – I think Will said 68-63. I'd say anything under 70 is going to be problematic. I think it's oh. it's going to be a tough game. Well, the uh, the uh, team total on FanDuel is 70-and-a-half. Yeah. So, you're not far off there in terms of the number they need to get to. The 70 is the, is the number yeah. on, on FanDuel. That's my first uh, back and forth with Will. He's uh, he's uh, again. I'm a fan of his work. He's impressive. I, you know, one of the things we said we set out to do with this show is uh, hopefully make ourselves and other people feel smarter. I feel smarter after talking to Will. That's uh, except about the cat thing. I don't know about that, but uh. well, it's an opposite effect for me. Usually, like I feel more informed, but I also feel dumber. Because yeah. I, I think Will's smarter than me, and like yeah. some of the stuff he does, I, I can't really grasp. So it makes me feel worse about myself, while also making me feel more informed. So if you are more informed, are you smarter, or are you just more informed? Like, I don't I know. I think you're smarter. Okay. I don't know. That's, that's my okay. two cents. Maybe I'm not more intelligent. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm not actually more intelligent, but I am smarter. Maybe that's the difference. Okay. See, now I'm, I'm losing IQ points now as yeah, I'm talking about just, it. Yeah, uh, don't, just don't overthink it, man. Yeah, I'm it's, putting myself in a figure right. four here. I'm, I'm good. What about you, Sam? Do you feel smarter? I feel smarter. Okay, you got to let that information soak in. You know, it's, yeah. it doesn't just hit you immediately, but you know, you go back and you listen to it, and, and you're good. And I'm like, where does this dude find the time? That's impressive. I yeah, mean, it's it's incredible because well, he's doing it for a lot of a lot of games. Well, the thing I'm maybe the proudest of Will about is that he used to do all this just as kind of a passion project or as a hobby, and was doing a lot of it for, for basically free, and then he he had found a way to monetize it and, and to really grow it. So as a friend, I'm really proud of what he's grown, and like I said, I really do think he is the, the best Tennessee basketball writer here, and if you do like college basketball as a whole, he has branched out to that as well, and statsbywill.com and subscribe to the Substack. I, I don't know what the cost is right now. I know before the season it was $30 a month, but it's a, it's a good $30 if you – even if you like it, just bet on college basketball. The, some of the previews are pretty, pretty good with information there to make you more informed. And you know, it's just winning one bet to pay for it. But I will say, I feel better about Tennessee tonight. Yeah, yeah. After after hearing that, maybe that was the other thing. He talked me off the ledge a little bit. I'm I'm good with that. Mississippi State is not great at uh, defensive rebounding. They're not a great rebounding team, despite being big. So like, I, I think Tennessee can maybe create some second chance points there as well. Yeah, that's exactly what the difference was in the South Carolina loss for them the other day. Is they they were bigger than South Carolina, but they couldn't they they, they got beat on the boards consistently. For Tennessee, if they're going to beat teams on the boards, it's going to kind of have to come from effort because they are going to play you know a smaller four with Josiah. But he is a good rebounder. He is good you know as size and of course Jonas has been gobbling them up and playing well. But Tennessee is just going to have to outwork them. And, and that's how you get road wins typically in the conferences is, is just to go in and kind of impose your will and, and show who you are. That's what I'm looking forward to, to seeing is how Tennessee responds. Because, like, this is not a team of freshmen. You know, I was thinking about that. Like, this is a team that, that has some freshmen, but I wouldn't be surprised if none of them played tonight if you just kind of rely 
on the elder statesman. And, like, you have guys, I mean, Tennessee's starting five or Tennessee's five Tennessee holdovers have been here forever. You know what I mean? They've gone on the road. They've played in big games. And, you know, Dalton Connect has got his toes wet and Ganey's got his toes wet in terms of doing that now at high level, you know, college basketball. I know both of them, of course, you know, played you know in smaller conferences and went on the road. But now they're going into the big leagues of basketball. But this team's a veteran team, man. They shouldn't be rattled by the road. No, you you touched on it, and and I think it's interesting. Tennessee has gone from this time last year where they were 64th in offensive efficiency to 23rd. Yeah. And a lot of that, even Greg Polinsky said it in some of his interviews, it's attributable to the age of the team, the maturity of the team. You know, there's all sorts of other factors, spacing, other things. But that's where it all lies. Um, yeah, and I, again, I'll be interested to hear from – We'll get some callers, hopefully, in the third hour to talk a little bit about this game. This is a big game tonight. Like you said, John, it's given what Stats by Will said about having to win 15 conference games. they got to take care of business this week. We'll continue the conversation after the break. 865-540-8200 if you want to hop on with us. 15 conference games. That's going to take a lot, but I don't necessarily think he's wrong. I don't either. I don't necessarily think he's wrong. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three next. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.